0: running to me represents freedom. And I don't want to confine myself to running to numbers, like trying to run to specific mileage on a given day or just running specific paces every day. There's a freedom to it and a fluidity that I I think is really, really important. Like not every workout has to build toward something or target a specific energy system, especially right now where there are no races to build toward for me and what i'm trying to preach to my athletes like look you almost got to think of running right now as more of an outlet than ever sometimes you just need to remind yourself what made this pursuit fun in the first place hey what's up everybody i'm your host mario fraoli and this week well this week you get to hear from me in the second ask mario anything episode of 2020 I answered a number of listener questions about coaching, training, nutrition, making adjustments, and a lot more. On the other side of the mic for this one is John Summerford, longtime producer of the Morning Shakeout podcast. And as a point of reference, we hit record on this one mid conversation before we get into the listener questions. John is talking about playing music with his brother for the first time since quarantine started, the very same brother that plays drums for the theme music to this podcast. So without any further ado, let's get right into it with Ask Mario Anything number two of
1: 2020. <laughs> It's like it's a bit like your podcast, where it's a weekly thing, where like every week you're committing to output a certain product. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I just find like, doing that with music, I don't know. it's just like it's exercising those muscles, and right. like I become so much more springy with that, where like, I almost feel like in the last couple of years, like that creative muscle almost sort of like atrophies unless I use it. But for me, the key is doing it every week and having that like sticking to that that deadline. Yeah, you got
0: to be consistent with it. I mean, I've definitely noticed that and it's something I preach with all my athletes in terms of running the more consistent we can be at it, the more you're going to develop and grow, but it works in creative pursuits as well. Oh, yeah. If I don't write for a period of time, like I get rusty. I've noticed that in the past. I mean, with my newsletter, part of the reason that I put it out every week isn't just because readers expect it now. I mean, that's certainly part of it. But for me, it forces me to sit down for a period of time every week and to work all of this stuff out that I've been thinking about, that I've been reading, that I've been listening to. And some weeks it comes easier than others, but the consistency element of it, I think has helped me to become a better writer because I am regularly, quote unquote, flexing those muscles as you just described. So I imagine with music, it's pretty similar.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, it's, It's pretty much exactly that. For me, at least, like an important thing that I try to remind myself of is the particular output of that workout or that session. I mean, and it could be like a running workout or it could be a writing workout. Or mm-hmm. in my case, uh, like I played bass last time. So it was, it literally was a finger workout. But the reward that you're reaping from that hour or those two hours, it's the practice, it's not necessarily the output. A lot of times, the songs I come up with, they're just garbage. <laughs> like I, I listen back to it and I kind of laugh, but there's always one or two, there's a couple minutes that are nice out of the hour. And that's, <laughs> that's the important part just to get those muscles firing and, and just to create something.
0: Yeah. It's the same thing with running and same thing with writing. I mean, you're not going to knock every workout out of the park and not every run that you go on, even if you're consistent about it isn't going to feel good. Same thing with writing. I mean, there are some weeks I write shit. um, But the important thing is that I wrote something. It's not that I wrote something crappy. I mean, it's just, it's going to happen. But that's what's going to help open the doors to something better down the road. I mean, I'll have weeks where I sit down and it's just a struggle to write and get the words out. And I'll schedule the newsletter for publication and I just know not that I mailed it in I mean I I never mail it in I'm always just doing the best that I can but some weeks what does come out just isn't all that great but it gets out there and then there are some weeks where things are just like really clicking and I think that's a result of those weeks where things weren't really clicking and you almost need those in order
1: to have
0: those breakthrough moments where things just flow right
1: yeah yeah what about um so you, you you talk about like writing, and some weeks, like you looking back at what you made, you're like, "Ugh, that was a real stinker mm-hmm. this week." Do you find that your does that feeling change ever? Like looking back at older recordings or older, I guess, older writings in your situation. Yeah, it's a good question. I do
0: go back and reread some of my newsletters or re-listen to some of my older podcasts and. Even the ones that in that moment when I was making it or I hit send or I hit publish on it, I didn't feel like it was great. I can go back weeks or months or sometimes years later and just look at it with a fresh set of eyes or listen to it with yeah. a different set of ears, and have an appreciation for where I was at in That moment in time, because when you're in it, it's hard to really see all the things that may or may not be influencing you. But when you're far enough removed from it, you can be a little bit more objective. And I've found that for me. And I think, if I'm being honest with myself, the podcast or my skills as a podcaster have gotten better. And a big reason for that is because I've gone back and listened to some of my older episodes, everything from the questions that I ask, to the pace that I'm speaking at, to the space that I'm giving, I can go back now and 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 really understand like why it was shit at the time, and mm-hmm. make the appropriate adjustments in the current moment, so that as I move forward with this, it's just week after week getting a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better, and. It's never really this like one big breakthrough, but it's these incremental improvements over time that I think lead to improvement in an area, whether it's running, whether it's writing, whether it's podcasting
1: or making music. Yeah, totally. I feel like, for, for me at least, the I sort of think of it as like a performance every time. But during that moment of performance or recording or, or writing or production... Your, 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 um, your self-confidence is so, um, it, it or your criticism of yourself. It's so razor sharp. Like it's so precise in that moment. You're, you're like hyper in tuned on what you might not be doing right. And for me, two, three years ago, uh, it like two or three years is how long it takes me to look back at something and be like, Oh, this was pretty good. Why didn't I ever release this? <laughs> And at that point, I don't even remember what I didn't like about it. It's funny to hear you describe it in that way, because I
0: think about my newsletter that I put out every week and the podcast, which now comes out every week, as performances. And I do prepare for them much like I do for a race or much like a musician might prepare for a show. And I'm in that headspace when I'm actually doing the thing and I'm releasing it for others to either read or listen to just consume in general but i mean it's just like not you know there, there are just sometimes you're when you're in it like you can tell like okay this is going well like things are clicking i'm just oh, going yeah, yeah. this momentum but you also have those moments where you're like oh, god this just like things are not jiving for me today, but I got to stay with it. Like I just got to keep doing it because that's what's important is that I get this thing out and then I get it done. And then if you do these things consistently, this is a thing that I've realized over the years as a coach and more recently as a writer and a podcaster, if you do these things consistently, and even if one doesn't go well for whatever reason, but you did it, you get another shot the next week or the next day or whatever schedule you've kind of put yourself on. So that's where that commitment to consistency, whatever it may be, is super important. And realizing like, hey, there are just going to be some weeks or days when it's not happening for you. And that's okay. But the important thing is that you got it done. And that the next time you go out and do the thing, you have looked back at your past quote unquote, performances and learned something from them and adjusted accordingly. And as I just described a little while ago, a lot of times those adjustments are going to be very subtle. But if you make enough of them over time, you know, when you take that big block of time like you just described, sometimes it's like three years and you can go back and look. Then you can see yeah. like, oh, here's how I've grown as an athlete. Here's how I've grown as a writer, as a podcaster, as a musician.
1: Yeah. You said at the beginning of that, that there are some times when you're in the moment during an interview or during a recording or, or a performance, you'll almost realize like, oh, I'm part of something great right now. Like this is happening right now as I'm sitting here part of this for me i get that feeling a lot of times but a lot of times i don't get that feeling i don't actually feel that uh i don't feel that greatness in the moment and then i'll Mm -hmm. listen back later and i'll be like hey that was pretty good (laughs) but it's different than my experience while i'm in the moment and i think that too comes down to practice i mean it takes practice to be present and like to not have anxiety like ruin that experience for you
0: yeah, well, that's exactly it. You have to practice being in the moment. If you're thinking about what the finished product is going to be before you actually get there, you're kind of screwing yourself while you're in the midst of it. You've just got to be like very focused on what you're doing. There are a lot of times when I have conversations for the podcast. I think this is the best example that I can give, where I'm not really aware that it's going well or going badly. Like in the moment, like that's not what I'm thinking about. I'm just so engrossed in. The conversation, and then all of a sudden, like an hour and forty-five minutes later, it's time to wrap it up. And like I finish, yeah. and I've got this feeling like, hey, that went really well. Like I just felt like there was a good flow and things were click- clicking, and it went really well. But shit, I'm gonna have to go and listen back to that because I don't remember a damn thing that I <laughs> talked about because I was yeah. just, I was just so wrapped up in it while, while I was there. And and to me, like, that's always the best feeling when I'm like, I can't even remember what I just talked about with this person for the last however yeah. long hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes. And, and to me, I'm like, well, I'm going to go back and listen to it one to just like remind myself of what the conversation was about. And like, yeah, I'll do some edits and, and things like that. But it's like, to me, that's like, oh, well, it, it went well like I know that I got out of it what I intended as I was going into it
1: it's a good sign right because in that moment you're not sitting there as an editor you're sitting there as a performer
0: yeah and I think that's where a lot of us get in our own way sometimes as an athlete we quote-unquote edit ourselves during a workout like we will overanalyze a split during an interval session or, you know, during a tempo run and, you know, yeah, you've got to make adjustments, but you're not actually in the moment. You're just thinking about crap. That last split was like a little bit too slow. Or as a writer, if you're literally editing yourself as you go, it's going to be really hard to start stringing sentences together. Sometimes you've just got to flow and let it go and then give yourself a little bit of space and go back and, you know, make the edits appropriately. So I think it is a skill a learned skill to be present in whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah,
1: totally agreed. Well, uh, I don't think either of us can guarantee this is <laughs> gonna be an, an hour and forty five minutes long and we'll we'll never check the time, but we do have some questions to get to.
0: Yeah. So I guess that was a that was about a thirteen minute preamble. We didn't actually get to any of the questions, but I'm your host, Mario Fraley. The man on the other side of the mic is John Summerford. He is the audio ninja here at the Morning ShakeOut. This is, I believe, the second Ask Mario Anything episode of 2020. John, we've already been chatting for a while, but I'd like to officially welcome you to the Morning ShakeOut
1: podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here and uh... be back Yeah, to be bet, a return guest. I'm one of the few return guests on the show.
0: Well, you're kind of a, you're actually one of the only return hosts because technically, I guess I'm the guest for this Mm. show since you're the one asking me the questions and I'll be spitting out the answers. So you are in very rare
1: company. Absolutely. Sorry, Jeff. We'll (laughs) pull in for you next time. So we do have reader submitted questions. Um, Why don't we catch up? Is there anything that you? like to fill the audience in on as far as what's going on in your life the last few months?
0: Oh, well, I mean, the last few months have been unsettling, I guess is the word that I keep coming to uh, more than, more than any others. I've had periods of, you know, real excitement and optimism and energy to do, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then I've had periods where, you know, I've just been, you know kind of really down on the state of affairs in the world unmotivated to work i had stretches where i was really motivated to run and i was getting after it for a while and like doing these kind of like virtual races and solo time trials in the last like month or so it just hasn't been i guess super exciting for me i've been i've been running every day still i've run every day since march 1st but i mean there are days where i'll just go out and do three miles. But to what we were talking about earlier, I guess, before we quote unquote officially started this episode, to me, the the consistency is key. And it doesn't mean you have to run every day. But right now, where all of my days are pretty routine, I just know that when I get out first thing in the morning, it sets me up really well for the rest of the day. And much like I described earlier, I'll have days that things are just really flowing and clicking and I'll be super productive and my output is really high. But then, you know, I'll have runs that are shit and the rest of the day might be shit. But at least I've I've got it in and then I've put it behind me and I've moved on to the next one. So, I mean, it's been kind of a lot of that basically since, you know, since March. But Overall, I mean, I'm grateful that Christine and I are healthy. We are grateful to have our pup Tahoe who kind of keeps things light around here and brings a smile to our face every day. I feel really grateful to be really close to accessible open space so that I can get out of my house and away from people and be outside. And there's something that's really therapeutic about that, whether I'm out on one of my daily runs or just out walking the dog or whatever. So yeah, all in all, I mean, that's been good. I'm thinking about the second half of this year, which is is, is just like crazy to vocalize that because I can't believe we're only halfway through 2020. Yeah. So much has transpired. I mean, for me personally, dating back to the beginning of the year and then I guess as a as a society, as a you know, human species basically since you know this this pandemic has ravaged the entire world we have dealt with um you know protests against racial injustice here in the u.s and there's been a movement around that i mean it's just wild to think this has only been you know we're we're like a little over six months through the year at at this point and there's another half of the year to go um and on one hand that that leaves me optimistic and excited much like i described a little while ago on the other hand like i can get really down about it if I think about the fact that these trends may continue through the end of the year. But I've been trying to remain upbeat and focus on controlling what I I can control personally, athletically, professionally, and otherwise. Um, I'm thinking a lot about the morning shakeout and how it continues to evolve from here on out. And I don't anticipate any drastic changes. I want to continue being consistent with the newsletter every week, putting out a new podcast every week, trying to diversify my guest list and have, you know, different conversations than I've, I've had in the past, like still deep conversations, but trying to get, you know, even more layers below the surface with some of my guests touching on issues that I wouldn't say that I've avoided in the past, but just haven't come up in terms of, you know, racial justice and what, you know, different people's lives have been like, um, as they've, as they've gone through it. Um, so there can be more of that. I mean, on, I guess the, the technical side of things, I am working on a refresh of the morning shakeout.com, which is where I house all of these things. It's where people sign up for the newsletter. It's where all the back issues exist. It's where the show notes for the podcast go. Um, and, I've had the same template, I think, for about three years now. I think it precedes the podcast by by just a little bit. So working on making it a little more um, mobile-friendly, trying to give the podcast a little bit more prominence on the homepage, make it easier for people who want to subscribe to the Morning ShakeOut Um make it easier for them to do that, uh, right away rather than trying to find the, find the subscribe button. So yeah, little things, you know, little things like that. Um, coaching's been really interesting. There have been no races for my athletes to run, which on one hand has been kind of challenging because, a lot of their training at least in their eyes feels sort of aimless at this point and i know there are some questions related to that and we'll get into to it later in this conversation um but also from being optimistic i'm using it as an opportunity for some of my athletes to work on things we typically couldn't work on when we're racing regularly or kind of bouncing from one season to the next. So, I mean, a lot of those conversations are, you know, ongoing and more frequent than they have been in the past because there is a lot of adjusting that needs to happen. People's own life situations and how they feel about their relationship to running seems to change almost like week to week. So we've got to, we've got to stay on top of that sort of thing. And then just thinking about, you know, from a coaching standpoint, how, I can potentially have a little bit of a wider impact or a wider reach. I mean, I work with 20 to 25 one-on-one athletes throughout the course of the year, and I have a couple groups here that I coach in the Bay Area, but we haven't been able to meet because of all the COVID-19 restrictions. But trying to think about ways that I might be able to expand that in a digital way, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better description, where I can, you know, Work with athletes, even if it's on a a bit of a looser basis, um, who aren't necessarily close to me geographically, but be able to be a resource for for them and trying to figure out like what that might look like. So yeah, that's a that's a lot, but I mean I've had time to think about these things and yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to best implement them.
1: Well, I wanted to ask you about your your some of your athletes. You're fairly. Uh, involved in the running scene in san francisco obviously it's your it's your job and you're involved in the community as these, uh, the the quarantine as it's kind of evolved over the last few months, have you found any time or found a solution with maybe meeting in person with any athletes or any just friends in general have you Have you done that at all? Have you explored that
0: so to answer the first part of that question. No, have not Mm -hmm. done anything with the athletes that I coach in terms of organizing group workouts or anything. It just doesn't feel safe yet. It doesn't feel like the right thing to do. And maybe in a few more weeks or a few more months, if and when things start to stabilize here we can start thinking about that i mean the the trick is my groups are fairly large and there are restrictions on the size of groups that you can have and even though being outdoors is is a bit safer i mean i want to be really respectful of the yeah. local ordinances and not just you know the the health and well-being of of my own athletes but where we work out they're typically public spaces so there are other people around as well and want to be really respectful of that so that's going to be on hold for a little while longer personally in the last i'd say six weeks i started running with a few of my friends with one other person at a time and i think i've run with three different people on four occasions so still not a lot um But my wife and I have decided that we are going to start slowly expanding our our bubble um, and running or, in her case, riding her bike with friends of ours who we know and that live close and that we've been in contact with and know have been... On the same page as us, as far as following the suggested protocols and you know doing what needs to be done to to keep ourselves safe, and and we're doing these things, you know, outside and taking the proper social distancing measures. Of course, of I always course. run with a buff around my neck, and um, while I don't wear it like around my mouth, while I'm running with my my running partner, when we do get on the trails and we're passing by people, making sure that you know we're we're covering ourselves up. And that feels pretty safe to me, and based on yeah. a lot of the recent stuff that's come out from doctors and other experts, it seems like the the likelihood of spread in a you know small group situation like that, meaning like two to four people or so, if you're appropriately spread out and yeah. not in a very densely populated area, is is pretty low. Um, so I feel you know I feel pretty good about that, but still, just really. You know, doing it very sparingly, I mean I, I've run with one other person other than my wife, like every other week for maybe the last six weeks, so oh great, still just like dipping dipping my toes in, but it does feel really good to share miles with other people again, oh yeah, man. just catch up and have conversation, and it makes things fly by a lot faster, and it's also because i've I've driven to go meet them yeah. in their neck of the woods. I get to run in a new environment yeah. which.
1: Um I am a creature of habit, but it is nice to switch things up every once in a while man when i i visited my family and uh, I went on like a pretty a decent hike with my dad uh you know that was over a month ago man, just being there for like a day or two like i felt like my soul was just <laughs> rejuvenated yeah it I, makes
0: it makes a huge it makes a huge difference uh and i don't think we should we should discount that yeah and also i think if you're if you're doing it in you know very intentional ways like that yeah. where it's like okay you're going to see your family or you're seeing like you know one close friend every every so often and you're taking the proper protocols yeah. like from what I've seen, read, listened to, and experienced, like that seems pretty safe. It's yes. those instances where you are getting in big groups, you are inside, you have prolonged exposure to someone, you are not following the safety protocols. That's where that's where people are getting into trouble, and yeah. those are the situations that I mean we've been avoiding since the the very beginning. But as we've learned more, and as we've learned more, as the experts have learned more, you know, we've become comfortable with the idea of doing things with one or two other people at a safe distance. It's on an infrequent basis. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Tracksmith. Tracksmith is a Boston-based brand led by a group of runners who are committed to making classically stylish, cutting-edge running apparel. Their focus is real-world athletes, so the kind of runners who sneak a workout into their commute or plan vacations around races. Sound familiar? does to me. Tracksmith designs all their products for the needs of serious amateurs so they only use the best materials from sweat wicking, stink-free merino wool to a unique Italian nylon knit for their performance shorts. And all their garments feature thoughtful details that let you focus on your workout. As we head into summer, I love, love, love training in the Twilight Tank and the Reggie Half Tights. It's one of my favorite combinations, especially when I want to run fast. Both pieces are lightweight and super breathable, which helps me stay cool and allows me to move freely when the temperature starts rising. To welcome listeners to the podcast, Tracksmith is offering $15 off your first purchase of $75 or more. To learn more, visit tracksmith.com mario and enter the code MARIO15, that's MARIO15, when you check out. That will save you $15 off your first Tracksmith purchase of $75 or more. My thanks to Tracksmith for their continued support of the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show.
1: Why don't we uh, start with something? Question is from Craig S. With races canceled for the foreseeable future, I'm exploring taking my usual road running self to the trails. Any advice for a trail beginner from someone who also started exploring trails later in their running career?
0: Good question. Before I get to it, I started racing trails later in my running career. So it wasn't until 2014 that I really started racing trails and ultras and considered myself a quote unquote trail runner. But I'd always incorporated trail running or running on trails. I mean, since I was in high school, I'd drive out to the local reservoir and you know get off road and do some of my distance runs on on that. So um, it's a matter. I guess might be a matter of, of Semantics, but I think if you're getting onto trails for the first time or thinking about getting onto trails for the first time, realizing that depending on the type of trail, it can be a very different type of experience. If you're going from the roads to, you know, gravel footpaths or, you know, wide fire roads where You're on smooth dirt. It's not going to be that hard of a transition. It's a little bit softer underneath your feet. It's going to feel, generally feel, a little bit better on your body because the impact forces aren't quite so high. But the learning curve isn't that steep, whereas if you live in a place where the trails are very rocky, very rugged, and not super-duper runnable... um, the first piece of advice I I would give you is to let go of any preconceived notions in terms of pace and distance. Um, Meaning like your normal five mile road run that takes you 40 minutes could take you an hour or more if the trails are really rocky and, and really, really technical and realizing that the, the pace and the distance don't matter so much. So I would say the, adjustment that i would make is to focus more on time than distance because oftentimes on trails they do run slower than the road so your normal five seven ten mile route could take you a lot longer in terms of time than it would on the road so just just you know, focusing on on time first rather than distance. Um, Also, if you're on trails that aren't super smooth, aren't super runnable, think about your footwear. You might want to upgrade your typical road running shoes to something that is a bit more trail specific, that has a bit firmer outsole that can handle that type of terrain that has different types of cushioning that are going to help soften the impact a little bit of some of that. Off-road stuff that you are now navigating, um, so that's that's worth looking into. A lot of popular road-running shoe models do have trail versions that are a, a good place to start. Um, but you know, many brands now are are building trail shoes that you know, while they provide you more protection than a road shoe, actually feel more like a running shoe than a hiking boot, which wasn't exactly the case, say like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So might want to look into your footwear. Um, and then the last thing I I would recommend is working. I mean, all runners should be doing this anyway, but especially if you're going to the trails, it's a much more athletic activity and endeavor than running on the roads. When you're running on the roads, there is a lot of repetition to it. There might be some ups and downs, but generally you're moving in the same plane the entire time and things are pretty predictable for the most part. When you're on real trails, uh, the terrain is not going to be so consistent. Not only is there more elevation gain and loss, but what's going on underneath your feet isn't always predictable and isn't always super consistent. So what I mean by working on your athleticism is doing some ancillary work to strengthen your feet, your ankles, your lower legs, um, working a little bit more on your lateral movement because there is more of that when you are trail running than there is when you're running, you know, just out on the roads. And I mean, some of that's just going to come from spending more time on the trails. I mean, the more time you spend on the trails, the more proficient you're going to get, the stronger you're going to get, um, the better you're going to be at it. But off trail, you can do work in the gym to work on strengthening those specific areas. You can do exercises that address some of that lateral movement. I mean, you know, just doing some stuff like standing on a wobble board, um, yeah. can make a big difference. You're going to, you're going to improve just your, your stability on a, on an unstable surface, like working on stuff like that. Uh, you can get away with it on the roads, but on, you know, trails that aren't super smooth, risk of rolling an ankle or falling or you know just yeah. straining something goes up uh, you know goes up almost like exponentially if you don 't have any experience on that or with that this
1: could be just because i 'm i 'm lanky and clumsy, but it 's almost like a balance activity for me like that 's what i 'm yeah. focusing on not falling and 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 uh, rolling my ankles
0: yeah it 's a much more athletic activity i didn 't mention this before, but the other adjustments that you can make when transitioning to the trails are shortening your stride. I mean, oftentimes the terrain is going to force you to do that, but by taking shorter stride, you're going to have more control of what's going on underneath your feet. So if you naturally have a very long kind of lanky stride, it's just not going to work on most trails. You have to shorten things up, which is going to quicken your cadence a little bit. It's going to force you to be a little bit lighter on your feet. I mean, I've always found for myself and the athletes that I work with like trying to reduce the amount of ground contact time that you have just working on being a little bit more nimble especially when running downhill can go a long way in terms of being a a more
1: proficient trail runner especially on technical terrain this is from scott d with no races on the calendar how has this affected your coaching advice and has it been an opportunity for some other than running trails of course
0: Yeah, we touched on this a little bit earlier in the conversation, but since there are no races on the calendar right now, I've been looking at it as an opportunity for my athletes to really work on their weaknesses. I mean, we're trying to do that throughout the year anyway, but oftentimes we get rushed or we've got to try and shoehorn it into a very short period of time because we got to get into the next training cycle almost right away. And right now where we almost have, you know, I don't want to say limitless time, but kind of this blank canvas to work with. I've been having, you know, some of my athletes who aren't typically higher mileage runners and have the time to do it right now, maybe because they're not commuting, um, they don't have a race coming up so they're more willing to do something a little bit differently like you know upping their mileage some of them are are running more volume than they typically would we're experimenting with that seeing if we can use this time as an opportunity to really develop them aerobically in a way that we can't when they're working full time they have a commute they are constrained by life i mean and that's just that's just life um, you know, and, and it limits some people in that way. So, you know, I've got a few folks who are on that sort of plan. I've got other folks who, you know, run two marathons a year. They have a buildup of races that they do leading up to it. For what, for those reasons, we are always in, you know, some sort of specific training cycle. And maybe they're trying to, you know, run certain times like in, in those races. Like now we're using this as an opportunity to do like more hill work. Like I've got a a good number of my athletes who I have doing what I call just a fundamental phase of training. And we're doing like one short hill session a week, which is like anywhere between 10 and 30 second repeats at a very high intensity with a lot of recovery. It's not super specific to anything, but you know, it's a great way to build muscular strength to, work on your mechanics to develop power. That's not something we can really spend too much time on, like when we're in the thick of a training cycle, but now we have the time. So we can do like, you know, a six to ten week block where we're doing one of those types of workouts you know, every week. We're doing more effort-based fartleks throwing the watch away in terms of trying to hit a specific pace and just letting people get a little bit more, you know, in tune with what a certain effort feels like. And that is going to set them up well for when we do get back into these specific training cycles, because my, my hope is that they're not too attached to their GPS watch at that point or, or what particular pace that they're running, that they've learned to sort of feel things out a little bit more. So using it as an opportunity, you know, in, in that way. Um, But the biggest thing, and to answer the first part of Scott's question, is there is no result that we're working toward right now. So it's getting these athletes to really, if they haven't already, develop a process-oriented approach to their training and to really love and embrace the process of being a runner when it's not necessarily leading to anything on a particular day and i think most runners listening to this who train for races that is what their training builds toward everything builds toward like this this day and you know it's certainly thrown a lot of of my athletes for a loop it's you know thrown me for a little bit of a loop from a coaching standpoint because you're always looking at that event and then working backwards to to build the plan. And here where we don't have this like, you know, this end date, this goal that we're working toward, um, you know, and on some level, it's like, okay, well, are we going to do what we're doing in perpetuity? Well, no. So I've been building like you know little cycles, like six week cycles, eight week cycles, some athletes like twelve week cycles, making sure that we're we're still building in like periods of rest in there, even though they're not necessarily recovering from this like big long race or big long effort. Um, but the the real takeaway there is just like getting them to, you know, embrace the process, much like we talked about earlier. Being consistent and realizing, like, hey, not every workout is going to be one that you knock out of the park. It's a matter of like, what's important is is just getting it in. Um, and if we get it in consistently enough, those th- workouts are going to stack upon one another. Your fitness is going to, you know, improve, and it's going to set you up well to go in any number of different directions when things normalize. So that's really the approach that that we've been taking. Very much a process oriented approach, working on a lot of Fundamental, foundational elements of what it means to be a runner, regardless of what your specific, you know, focus is. So that when we get to this point, whether it's later this year, middle of next year, late next year, no one knows. Um, but when we can start putting races on the calendar again and start working toward things, my athletes have the tools that they need, both on a physiological level, but also, you know, psychologically, mentally, emotionally to start working toward those things in a, in a very um, deliberate and intentional way.
1: He talked about earlier uh, about sometimes athletes, they need to you know, throw away their running watch or mm-hmm. you know, put it in the drawer and not think about it. Do you ever uh, enter a situation with an athlete uh, or do you ever start working with somebody where that is like the foundation of their training, where it's almost like you have to tell an athlete, you have to sell your running watch. <laughs> you don't get to use it at all. You're banned from it for x amount of time. Yeah, I've had to do
0: that recently with a, mm. with a few of my athletes because I think whether, you know, and this extends beyond running as well, but runners will oftentimes let their watch or what their watch tells them to dictate whether or not a workout went well or to dictate whether or not they're happy with how a workout went. So for example, you give an athlete, 800 meter repeats in three minutes. And in their head, they're like, if I run 258 for all of them, then I've, I've had a good workout. Then I'm allowed to feel good about it. But if I put the effort in that I'm supposed to be and I run 302, for those intervals, like, it's a terrible session. It's like, well, no, it's not. Like, we've got what we wanted out of the session. You were running at the intensity level that you wanted to. You were doing everything that you could to be successful. But for whatever reason, maybe, you know, it's accumulated fatigue. um, Maybe it's some stresses outside of running, like, affected you on that day and you weren't able to necessarily, maybe it was the weather, you weren't able to hit the splits that we we had talked about, but it doesn't mean it's a terrible workout. Like you can't let those numbers like dictate yeah. your happiness. And that happens to a lot of runners. I mean, I know there are a lot of people listening to this who have been in, in a similar boat and it happens outside of running as well. Like, you know, you can let the number of like followers you have on a social media platform dictate your happiness so the number of likes you got on a post like dictate your happiness and it's like that's where metrics can really mess with you and and get you into trouble um and in a running context like yeah metrics are important if you're trying to break a three-hour marathon you know that's 652 per mile or faster and if you're not running that then you're not breaking three hours for the marathon there's a there's a time and a place for that um don't get me wrong at all but it paralyzes a lot of people. And much like I was describing earlier in the approach I'm taking with some of my athletes now, like why we're focusing on that effort and it's either like getting them to wear just like a basic chrono watch without GPS. It's giving them instant feedback on pace. So it's like, all right, then they just have to focus on time and effort or just getting them to ditch the watch altogether on an easy day. So it's like you can just go out and not look at the watch and say like, okay, am I running... You know, nine minutes a mile, nine to nine thirty, which is in my easy range, and like that's telling me it's easy, so I'm where I need to be, or just asking yourself, like, does this feel easy? Like that's what I want my athletes asking yeah. themselves. Like, okay, if Mario says go out and do an easy run, you should be able to ask yourself, like, well, does this feel easy? And if the answer is like, well, no, this actually feels like kind of hard, then back off. Like have yeah. the confidence to to back off. Learn that. You don't need the watch to to tell you that. But I have some people who are so attached to it. Um and I tell my athletes all the time, you are not a programmable robot. I cannot just say <laughs> like, hey, I'm going to put 255 800s into your yeah. watch and it's going to go out and that's what you're going to do. Like you're, you are a human being. There are a number of things <laughs> that are going to affect you on a, a given day. Like let's focus on how it's supposed to feel. It's like, yeah. the, it's like the old Bruce, Bruce Lee line, right? It's like, he's like, don't think, feel. And that's what I want my my athletes to do. So for some of them, I, I have them take the watch off on their easy days and just go find a loop that they know takes them, you know, is, is four miles or typically takes them like 30 to 35 minutes. Like they 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 feel pretty confident like what the distance is and just go run it easy. Or when we're doing specific workouts, having them either like, Fix their GPS watch in such a way that they can't see their moving pace. Like it just gives them, you know, the their running time or the interval time, but they can't actually see how fast that they're moving. Or getting them to wear like one of those old school. It's crazy. That I'm calling it old school at this point because it's all I owned until just a few years ago. <laughs> but like one of those like Timex Ironman chrono yeah. watches that doesn't have have GPS and saying like, yeah, hey, yeah. the workout today is going to be, you know, six by three minutes at, you know eight out of 10 perceived effort with a two minute jog in between. And when you are running that interval, like you're not going to have the watch telling you like what pace you're running. And, you know, if that's hard, like, you've got to ask yourself, like, am I kind of pushing it to that point where like, I can't spit out another word or, you know, I'm, you know, I'm where I have to be. And if the answer is no, then you got to make an adjustment one way, you know, one way or the other. Uh, and those are important skills to develop as, as a runner. And, to go off on a little bit of a tangent, like I've been I've been a runner myself now for 23 years, going on, 23 years. And GPS technology really wasn't ubiquitous until you know relatively recently. But my early years in high school, I didn't run with a watch at all. And then I started I ran basically with a chronological like just a stopwatch until 2014. And I feel really grateful that that's how I came up as a runner and I didn't have access to that technology until recently because it taught me how to be in tune, more in tune with my body and to run by yeah. feel and to listen to it and to adjust because I think there are a lot of newer runners today or certainly those who have been relying on a GPS watch since day one because who doesn't want to know how far they've run and what their pace is who don't ever develop those skills and they're so so important not only if you're an elite athlete but if you are any kind of aspiring runner you're competitive in your own way even if it's just with yourself to learn how to how to modulate intensity how to push yourself based on how you feel and not what the watch is telling you
1: yeah how about this Uh, type a personality avoid analytics because it doesn't work for you You know, I I never really thought of it quite in that way.
0: But I mean, most type A personalities, one of the biggest things I try and get them to do is to avoid analytics or at least to evolve their relationship with the analytics. Because Mm -hmm. again, and I say this to a lot of my athletes all the time you are not a programmable robot. Yeah. And, and, even if you think of yourself that way, like what fun is that? Like that's, that's no fun. Right. I mean, you know, part of the fun for me as, as a runner and always has been, and what I try to instill in my athletes as a coach is, is the exploration aspect of it is like, you know, just trying to explore your potential, like trying to figure out for yourself, like how hard you can push. And, and, and honestly, like, letting yourself fail every once in a while. I mean, I think that's what a lot of athletes and a lot of people in general are just just scared of failure. Like, look, no, you need to fail so that you can ultimately succeed or, or figure out what success looks like for you. If you're always trying to stay within a certain range or trying to hit a certain number, I mean... You know, you're you're not really ever going to set yourself up for failure because you're just going to play to the number. Um, but sometimes like you just got to like ditch the watch, or you got to find a way to, you know, avoid the data until afterwards. not saying data is not important. I mean, data can definitely be important. Data can definitely help, you know, inform some of our our future decisions. But it should be something that we look at and analyze after the fact. You know, not during it and it's like anything else you can never become it's a tool like a a watch is a tool and regardless of what job you're trying to do you can never become too reliant on one tool you've got to have a diverse toolbox and i think one of the most important tools that an athlete can develop is to learn how to run by feel and to learn how to adjust on the fly not because their watch is telling
1: them to speed up or slow down you know you said you said earlier you're like wow what fun is that I agree with that point, of course. But does that always resonate with people? Because I I no. do I feel like I know lots of people that fun is not a that's not a factor that plays into a decision at all.
0: Yeah, you're right. For some people that that is not a factor for them, but for me it's like, look, running it should be fun. And if you're running sure. competitively and you're trying to improve, Sometimes it it's just not going to be. It's just it's it's you know it's going to it's going to be hard. Um but at the same time like you gotta you know like you gotta want to do it and, and I mean there's gotta be running to me represents freedom and I don't want to you know, just confine myself to running to numbers, yeah. like trying trying to run to like specific mileage on a given day or to just running to like specific paces like every day. Like there's, you know, there's a there's a freedom to it and a fluidity that I, I yeah. think is really, really important. Like, you know, an, an example, just to use this, like this is maybe an end of one thing, but I think people listening to this can can understand and appreciate it and have been there myself. But Like I went out For a run this morning, right before we got on to record this conversation, and I knew that I wanted to push it a little bit. Like I wanted to run a little bit faster. It's been a while since I've done that, as I described. Like I've been in like a little bit of a funk, but I wanted to just kind of go out and and do something. And I I literally made up this workout like on the fly as I was going. Like I'm going to do two sets of one, two, two, one minute pickups with a minute jog in between. I'm not paying attention to the pace that I'm running, but for those periods of time like I'm just gonna pick it up and then I'm gonna rest for a minute and then I'm gonna pick it up again, and then I'm gonna rest for a minute and then I'm gonna pick it up again um, and I picked the route that I did so that I could finish at the track near my house and I'm telling myself I'm gonna get on the track and I'm gonna run four laps I'm gonna run four by two hundred um fast like i'm just gonna i I'm, I'm running I'm gonna run fast and I didn't have particular splits in mind that I wanted to hit. But I knew how I wanted to feel. I was like, I'm just going to go out there and like, I want it to feel like I'm on the track, like I'm kind of racing a mile, like I'm getting up on my toes, I'm pumping my arms, like I'm turning my legs over pretty quick. Like I'm feeling, you know, the slight breeze in my face as I come off the turn. And then like I'm opening it up as I come off the turn and I'm like charging toward the tape. And it just was a reminder to, to me and I have to do this for myself, like as a coach, as someone who writes programs for for athletes every week, but I had to do it as a reminder of myself to an athlete that not every workout has to build toward something or target a specific energy system, especially right now where there are no races to build toward. And, you know, a lot of us, you know, for me, and what I'm trying to preach to my athletes, like, look, like you almost got to think of running right now as more of a, more of an outlet than ever. Like sometimes you just need to remind yourself, like what made this pursuit fun in the first place for you. And for me, like the fun has never been in chasing numbers. Like, yeah, I love trying to see if I can break five minutes for a mile or like run a personal best. Like that's not what I. That's not what I mean by that. Yeah. Um, but what you know what was fun for me from the beginning was like that those feelings that i had when i was out on the track like doing a workout and like you know finishing with that pleasant feeling of of exhaustion afterwards or you know that feel of like the wind in my my hair and yes. like you know as you as you like get older um that hair gets thinner the, the hair gets thinner but yeah. like the speed gets a little bit slower but the feeling yeah. can still be the totally. same and it's like that's that's sort of for me like what I'm trying to focus on myself yeah. is like that those those feelings because that's what's fun. Like to me, that's yes. like what's fun about the sport. And like I, I want my athletes to feel the same way. Like I want running to make them feel a certain way. And it's like you're not gonna feel that way every day. Like that's just that's just life. But like when you when you go out there, it's like, okay, like going out there with the mentality of like, this is what I'm after today. It's like this specific feeling. It's not necessarily, you know, 33 seconds for 200 meter repeats, you know, on the watch. Because as we talked about earlier, like there may be a number of things that affect like what that's going to be. That's not what it should be about. And like, that's not going to, you know, make it any more or less fun for you. It's like going out there and just like, you know, chasing a you know just just chasing a feeling and having fun with yeah. it and having fun pushing yourself uh and having you know having fun seeing like if you can do you know a, a certain thing but just not being so hard on yourself that like all right well if i didn't do x y and z or hit this split then like you know then it was like a waste of a day but if i you know if i did then i can tell myself that i that i had fun if that makes sense
1: yeah it's a much more sustainable way to frame it in your mind because it's harder to compare yourself with someone you're running against because it's mm-hmm. difficult to say oh this guy is more free he has more wind in his hair than, than I do it's like an internal measurement you either feel free or you don't feel free yeah and the, the
0: great paradox there is, is that you know that measurement can't really be quantified <laughs> Hey, we've got one more sponsor to thank for this episode. It's my friends at Whoop. I'm super excited about what this company is doing for athletes. Whoop is a fitness wearable. It's just a band that you wear around your wrist that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from your workouts and the normal stressors of life. Here's what's great about WHOOP from my experience. Every day when you wake up, you get a recovery score based on your HRV, resting heart rate, and sleep performance that can be used as an indicator to how to approach your day and your training. If you get a green recovery, that's a sign that you have a more intensive workout, but if it's red, that's a signal that you might want to take a rest day or have an active recovery day. The WHOOP app even has built-in features like the Strain Coach, which actually gives you target exertion goals based on the level of intensity your body is signaling that it can handle. If you're not sure what type of training your body is ready for, this is an awesome feature to keep you from overdoing it. And based on how strenuous your day is, the app has a built-in sleep coach which actually lets you know how much sleep you should be getting so that you can wake up and be recovered based on your performance goals which you can set for yourself. For everyone listening to this, Whoop is offering 15% off with the code Mario. That's my name when you check out. Go to Whoop, that's W-H-O-O-P dot com, and enter Mario, that's M-A-R-I-O, at checkout and save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with Whoop. My thanks to Whoop for supporting the Morning Shakeout podcast. Now let's get back to the show.
1: This question is from Ryan B., When I finish my long runs, or especially hard workouts during a marathon build, I know from a physiological perspective, it's really important to eat within a relatively short window in order to restart glycogen storage and also provide protein for muscle recovery. The problem is that eating after a hard effort is usually the last thing I want to do. My hunger doesn't really kick in for a few hours, and I know I'm losing some precious time where a meal could really help with recovery. Do you have any go-to foods after an effort like that or any tips on how to maximize that window?
0: Good question, Ryan. Yes, um, I personally do have some go-to foods after hard efforts and tips on how to maximize that window, but they may not work for everyone else. I mean, it's not an uncommon problem for athletes to have a finicky stomach after a long race or a hard race or a hard workout. You've been pushing yourself so hard and things are just in, in general like disarray. But it is important to start that recovery process as soon as you can after you're done. So I always advise my athletes and what I try to do myself is within a half an hour, of finishing, I try to at least start hydrating, even if that's just with water. And sometimes you got to force yourself to do that and it takes practice. It's not going to happen all at once, but I will usually just try to start getting some fluids down. And sometimes it's just water. Sometimes it's an electrolyte drink. Sometimes it's something a little bit more calorically dense, but I will try to at least start to get some hydration running through my system because that's just going to help keep things moving along. And the second part for me is I'll usually have like some sort of a smoothie or a recovery shake where, you know, I've either made it ahead of time and I have it in a cooler in the car and I can start just like sipping on it as. I'm sitting around or as I'm in the car driving home or whatever it is and I will try to make that a little more calorically dense, more protein heavy, certainly has some carbohydrates in there as well. But that way like, you know, about a half an hour after I finished, I'm getting in, you know, somewhere between like 2 and 300 calories with a decent amount of protein and I find that doing some sort of a like a smoothie or like a recovery shake goes down a lot easier than than solid food because like you described, like for me, it's hard to get solid food in right away. But if I can do that, and I can usually do that, and you might take you a little while to find the product or products or combination that, that works for you, you're going to be okay. You're going to be in fine shape. Then you can go take a shower. You can stretch, like kind of come down from the workout a little bit. And then within like, you know, say an hour to two hours after you've finished Get down a full meal. Maybe that's a, a sandwich or, you know, an entree of of some sort, like an actual meal that is well-rounded, calorically dense, solid food, and is just going to help, you know, not only with recovery, but to to fill you up and to replace some of those calories that you've you've lost. But I think, you know, solid food isn't going to sit very well for many people in close proximity to a workout. But you know, focus on hydration, and then secondarily to that, try getting something down that is, you know, maybe a little more, a little more liquidy, less solid, but you know, has some good calories in it that you know you can just kind of slowly, you know, slowly sip on and, and get some get some calories in that you know are going to help replace what you lost and also kind of help replenish those glycogen stores that you've
1: depleted. We got another food-related question. This one's from Camilla W. Would you mind sharing a little more about your eating disorder, how you got yourself out of it, and if you ever feel yourself heading back into those thought patterns, and how do you know how to strike the balance between fueling properly, yet staying lean and staying in a healthy headspace, especially in the lead up to major races? Do you ever find yourself caught up in thought patterns similar to what you experienced during your eating disorder when you are facing challenges in life, such as in the current climate? When you're injured or when life seems a little bit out of control? Long question.
0: <laughs> yeah, that is a loaded question. I'm going to try and, and tackle one little piece at a time. Yeah. I've talked a lot about my experience with disordered eating. And I should note that I was never clinically diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I definitely displayed patterns of disordered eating for period of almost two years in my, my early twenties. I'm 38 now. So all of this was was a while ago um, in you know in my own life. But for me, I mean how I how I got myself out of it was by finally admitting to myself that I had a problem, that I was restricting calories, that I was more concerned with the numbers on the scale. Than I was anything else that I had made this game out of seeing how much weight I could lose or how low you know I could go, and for a while I, I kept all of those things to myself, even though people noticed around me but never really really said anything but being able to talk about it and just literally unload um, made made a huge difference for me and allowed me to take the steps toward recovery and for me. I mean, I ended up having three pretty major stress fractures in a short period of time. Two on my sacrum, my sacral ala's, both sides, uh, and one on my pubic symphysis, which is not a place that a male in his mid-20s should be getting a, a stress fracture, at least not a healthy male in his mid-20s, should be getting a, a stress fracture. And for me, I mean, the, the, so those signs were there. I'm like, okay, there, there's a reason Like, you got these stress fractures, and it's because you were malnourished and weren't, you know, weren't feeding yourself properly. And I actually ended up taking off about like nine months from running um, because running, even though it was this thing that I cared deeply about, um, I had wrapped up a lot of my self worth in it. I was trying to make it as a as a professional at the time, and I felt like I needed to look a certain way. I needed to get away from it for a while so that I could re-examine my relationship with this thing that I, you know, was a big part of my life, and I wanted to be a part of my life, but I didn't have a very, you know, healthy relationship with it. At the time. So that time away was huge. And during that time away, like I was able to open up and talk to friends and family about what I had been experiencing. And they were very supportive. And that support was very important and helpful to me. And, you know, as far as, you know, as far as like, what I did to, you know, to continue getting myself out of it, I mean, I, I started, you know, not depriving myself um, of, food and and meals. And I stopped counting calories and I stopped weighing myself. I mean, back to the whole numbers and metrics thing. Yep. I mean, this informs a lot of my perspective as a, as a coach as it relates to times that we put up in workouts and races. And, you know, again, it's just, a, it's a metric and they're, they're tools, but they shouldn't be overemphasized. And that's what I was doing, you know, with my eating, I was limiting myself to a thousand calories a day or less of, of food. And oftentimes it was, it was much, much less. And this is while I was trying to run like 115 miles a week. And you can see how those, those numbers don't exactly add up. So I just, I let go of that. Um, I thought that I needed to weigh 120 pounds or less to be a top distance runner. So I weighed myself every day, multiple times per day and was really hard on myself when, you know, I wasn't seeing the numbers that I, I wanted to see. And I, I've, stop weighing myself. I don't weigh myself to to this day. I focus more on how I feel. Like, do I feel strong? Yeah. Do I feel healthy? Do I feel f- fueled? Do I feel nourished? Uh, do I feel energetic? Um, and I, I know what those those things feel like. I mean, and the times that I, I have allowed myself to be weighed are typically when I go to, you know, to a doctor's office. And, you know, I'm at a point now where I have a much healthier relationship with all of this stuff. So, it doesn't affect me to hear the numbers on the scale, which honestly are 20 to 25 pounds heavier than it was when, when I was at my lowest. Um, but you know, I realized, you know, because I, I had the injuries and I saw the, my performance suffer that like, you know, that, that wasn't a healthy thing for me. Um, and even outside of all of that, like it, it affect a lot of my relationships, like my my social life, my relationships with my family, and you know my my friends at the time. So like I try to focus on that sort of stuff now and surrounding myself with you know very supportive people. So you know that's a that's a long winded rambling answer. I'm not even sure if it answered the first part of the question, but you know the second part about it was, do I still like get caught up in these thought patterns now? So what do I experience during my my disordered eating days? And and the answer is not really um you know every you know every so often i can i can catch myself uh, especially when i'm building up to a race and i want to do things right and i you know i i can catch myself like trying to deprive myself of you know dessert or deprive myself of you know a glass of wine with my wife on a on a friday night and realizing like you know hey there there's no need for that like you know, I can I I can actually like step back and like have the self awareness be like it's you know there's no reason for you to be thinking that way. Um, and you know it's you know you're gonna you're gonna enjoy that glass of wine with your wife um more than you are you know depriving yourself and being like okay like I did this thing like it's because yeah, at yeah. the end of the day it's like you know it's just running. So I mean you know for me like not really. I uh, it's like rare that those sort of things happen now. I definitely have a much healthier relationship with my body and, and how I perceive it and my body image. I have a much healthier relationship with food. I don't deprive myself of meals. I don't count calories. I don't weigh myself. I eat regularly. Um, you know, I I eat when I'm hungry. I have dessert often. Um, I mean, I try to eat not, I don't eat like crap. I mean, we eat really well. I mean, we have a very balanced diet. We eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and, you know, lean meats and there's there's nothing that I don't you know, that I don't eat. But I mean, I had periods where I restricted myself from like dairy, I didn't eat grains, um, you know, didn't eat meat for a while. And those were all just, you know, excuses to, you know, deprive myself of, yeah. of things that I, I typically, you know, enjoy and that are, are necessary for my own, you know, for my own vitality. So the advice that I would give to other people who are struggling, um, For me, like a a big part of my recovery was also sharing my story. So talking to people in my life, my friends, my family. But I also first wrote about my experiences on a personal blog I had at the time. And then when I worked at competitor.com, now Podium Runner, I wrote a column about my experiences and sharing those experiences. One, as I described earlier, like it helped me to unload them. But sharing them with other people, uh, it kind of gave them permission to you know to to do the same sort of things for themselves to to seek help to admit that they had a problem because a lot of folks who are suffering from disordered eating they feel alone they feel isolated and i think it's important to let those folks know if you're listening to this now and you're struggling with something you're you're not alone you know reach out to someone they are there to support you even if it's even if you're not comfortable reach out to someone that you know yet, I mean, you could reach out anonymously to someone. Like I tell people all the time, like if there's something I can do, especially males who are dealing with patterns of disordered eating, like reach out to me. I'll try to point you in, you know, in the right direction. But I think like finding, you know, realizing you're not alone and then finding those, you know, finding those support mechanisms to kind of help you as you recover. Because it's not going to happen overnight. You know, this, this is rooted in, you know, it's very much psychological, even though the the effects are, are physiological and, and dangerous, it's it's very much like a, a psychological like, you know, it's it's a mental illness of, of sort. And that's and that's okay. Like that gets stigmatized a lot, but you know, you're trapped inside your own mind and, and these patterns of thinking. And um, I think surrounding yourself with supportive people is important. I mean reaching out to professionals who, you know, can help you better understand the situation that you're in and give you the tools that you need to, you know, to work through it. Um, can go a long way. And then also, I mean, speaking from my own experience, like taking the time to reevaluate my relationship with running, if that's something that either triggers this or is a part of the problem, trying to uh, figure out a sustainable way to, to live so that it can be a part of your life. But, you know, it's also not going to serve as a trigger for patterns of, of disordered eating or, or, you know, shaming yourself, um, you
1: know, being hard on yourself for, for how you look or any of those sorts of things. You shared a story on a, on another podcast about kind of your experience with disordered eating. And you had uh, talked about kind of like a moment of clarity for you. You were talking to a friend on the phone and she basically Mm -hmm. yelled at you like she called me out. Yeah, she called you out. And, and to me at least it sounded like that was the first time where you actually kind of stepped out of your own mind and you were like, Oh wow, this is, Maybe she's. This is a problem, actually.
0: Yeah, and this is a very good friend of mine who I ran with in college had dealt with some similar issues of her own. So she recognized the patterns in in my behavior, and and she called me out. Yeah, and I felt like I had been outed, like this dirty little secret that I had been carrying with me for you know almost a year and a half. Maybe at that point, um, I was like, oh, I've I've been discovered. It's not. A secret anymore. And, and, you know, whether it's something like this or, or something else that you're holding close to your vest, uh, that's not a, that's not a good feeling. I hung up the phone on her. I I literally slammed the phone on her. Yeah. And I called her back a few minutes later and, and apologized, but you know, I was, I was scared that someone had figured, had seemingly figured it out that, that, something was wrong with me because I thought I was doing a good job of of hiding it but she was really supportive and yeah. and really empathetic and you know that was a, a huge first step in the healing process for me was just to have that support from someone that I cared about also someone who happened to have dealt with very similar issues and could understand like how hard my struggle was and
1: That really got the ball rolling for me, yeah. Sounds like a good friend. Telling it like it is. Mm -hmm. I think we have time for one more question. This is from Rachel D. This is a simple one. Does fitter always mean faster in a running context? I love that question. There are many
0: aspects and elements to what we call fitness, right? It's, It's not just speed. A lot of people equate fitter with faster but fitness is not just speed it's strength it's stamina it's durability it's mental fitness it's you know all of these things combined play off one another they support one another in in different ways they balance each other out so working on all of these elements doesn't always translate to faster race times, at least not right away. Like what I was describing with some of my athletes earlier during this time in, in quarantine, like we might be taking this as an opportunity to work on developing their aerobic system, like bumping their mileage up quite a bit higher, not doing as much intense speed work. If they were to go out and race you know, in a week or two, um, they might not necessarily be faster than they were a few months ago. But they might be fitter, more fit aerobically, than they were when we started this process, you know, a couple months back. And down the road, when we maybe bring their mileage back a little bit and we start reintroducing some speed work, you know, I, I've had a lot of athletes too during this period of time spend more time like in the gym, like literally working on on strength. And that doesn't always translate right away to to faster race times, but over time, like having addressed that element of the fitness spectrum can certainly contribute to to faster. So, you know, on a micro level, like in the moment, um, working on a specific element of your fitness doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be faster. Um, you know, I'm not as fast as I was when I was in my early 20s, but I think I'm mentally a lot fitter than mm. I was, you know, as, as an athlete. I think I'm better equipped to deal with a lot of the uncertainties of racing than I was in my 20s. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to put up a faster mile time, 5k time, or even, you know, half marathon, marathon times. But like, I can be more consistent in, in my performances, because I've got a sharp, I've got sharper mental tools than I, than I did, you know, when I was younger, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be faster. So, you know, I think, um, a lot of athletes to zoom out even a little bit more, a lot of athletes, a lot of runners, um, they really tie a lot of their identity and their self-worth as an athlete or as a person into the times that they they put up, um, you know, and and runners do this all the time. Like I'm a three hour marathoner. You know, I'm a two forty five marathoner. I'm a three fifty five miler. Like they they use that as as a descriptive thing. And, and I've never like been a huge, you know, fan of that because those things they don't define you. Um, you know, yeah. I mean you that's that's what you've run for those distances like those are the times that that you've put up but you know there are plenty of people myself included like i have run some pretty fast times when you know i i wasn't necessarily like you know i was actually pretty unhealthy you know much much like some of the stuff we were describing earlier like you can get away with like really cutting weight and stuff for a while and it might lead to faster times it doesn't mean you're necessarily fit um, it, in my case like it came back to bite me i ended up getting like three major stress fractures and missed a lot of time running and was it worth like the faster times that I like one or two faster races I might've had like in that short period of time where I like cut a lot of weight. No, like it definitely, it definitely was not. Um, you know, so I wouldn't say like, even though I was faster, I wouldn't say that I was, I was fitter. Like I was actually pretty weak. Um, you know in terms of like my my actual strength um i wasn't very secure in myself as a as a person and an athlete so in those ways like those are all aspects and elements of of fitness um and you know even though i was running fast i wouldn't say that i was necessarily like fit
1: if that makes sense does this mean i have to change my instagram bio should i take my pr off of there oh god you don't have your your PRs in your Instagram bio, do you? No, of course I don't have any PRs, man. I have wisdom yeah. PRs.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I mean that's that stuff is just like I you know, to each their own. I I don't yeah. understand it. Um, you well, know, it's, it's, maybe it's, it's an a, identity though, you know? Yeah, may, yeah, but I think like it's a it's not a very strong part of your identity. I mean, you know, no one, you know, at the end of the day, no one but yourself really cares. Yourself and maybe your your coach to a degree like cares what you what you've run for times like they they don't um they don't really define you I mean you know your times are your times like they're they're what you've you've run and you should try and uh, better those in, in certain situations like we should always be trying to be better versions of ourselves but yeah. I mean, those those things do not you know they they do not define us I mean I think that's just a very you know if you're putting your PRs in your bio. Um To me that's just a you know you're just trying to stroke your ego and boast a little bit, and I, I don't know to me it's just not my not
1: my jam All right, Mario. so in closing out, uh, is there anything that you could leave us with just to just to kind of brighten the spirits a little bit just to something to help us keep looking forward so i'm going to answer that just
0: by reiterating some advice that I shared at the beginning of this pandemic that is not just applicable to what we are going through right now where there's a lot of uncertainty. There's always a lot of uncertainty in life. It's just that it it changes constantly. And what I'll share is is applicable always. And whether it's just getting through the day or, you know, it's getting through a race or like a, a hard workout, like I've got, you know, these kind of like seven pieces of advice that I constantly remind myself of. And I think if we are all able to remind ourselves of, of these things or, or aspects of it from time to time, we'll, we'll all be better off. And, and number one is just accept the situation that we're in. I mean, as you just described, like we don't know how long this is going to go on. It may be a few more months, could be a couple more years. Life certainly isn't going to look the same moving forward as it did in the past. So we've got to play this hand. Like this is the hand that we're dealt. We don't, you know, really have a choice. So as crappy as it may be, like folding is not an option right now. So I think just accepting the situation that we're in is really important. It might, might not be the situation you you want to be in, but just accepting like, okay, this is what I've, what I've got to work with. Like, what do I do next? Um, second is like just be aware of your surroundings. Try and understand what 's happening around you. We live in a society in a culture more so than ever that is very, very reactive. Um, the news headlines are constantly changing. you know people are yelling at each other on Twitter. People are piling on to one another for a view that they have. I think it 's just so important to be still and take stock of what's happening around you just be aware of what's going on try and understand what different people are dealing with you don't always have to react i think a lot of people feel like they have to respond to whatever it is that that's happening and if they don't um you know it says something about them it's like no just you know, awareness is, is huge. There are a lot of people who respond without being aware and I don't think that's necessarily a, a healthy way to do things. Um, third thing is don't freak out. I think there are a lot of people who have a tendency to freak out when things aren't going to plan or don't seem to be going their way. And whenever we're freaking out, it means we're you know, we're pretty emotional about something. And being emotional is okay. But, you know, if you're always emotional, you're not really aware of what's happening around you, as I just described. You're going to be more likely to make rash decisions because things are, are moving fast and you feel like if you don't act now that you might be in trouble tomorrow. And and sometimes, yeah, you do have to act quickly than others. But more often than not, you don't have to make a, a, a rushed Decision. You don't have to react right away to to what's happening. So, you know, keeping calm in the face of chaos, um, just trying to remind yourself to to take a deep breath, to think things through, and to make decisions that are informed by reason and that aren't rash goes a long way. Building off of that is just controlling what you can control. I mean, we can't change this situation. Like, this is it. Like, we're we're in it. Like, there's a global pandemic right now. And as much as you wish X, Y, and Z were different, it's not going to be something that changes overnight there's not one person who can who can change those things so you know control what you can control and the main things that you can control are the actions you take on a on a given day the effort that you put into something and most importantly the attitude that you bring into any situation is you know so so important i mean i think a lot of us just focus on the things that we we can't control and we let that bring us down but you've got to flip that on its head and you've got to think about what are the things that that you can control, and if you're able to to do that, you're going to be a lot better off. Next one for me is just respecting people. Uh, I think you know what bothers me more than anything uh, right now is like, yeah, we've seen some, we've seen examples of people helping each other out in different ways, and, and that is great, and that makes me happy and makes me hopeful for our future, but you see a lot of people who are just disrespecting others who are just being flat out mean to others who are just being very selfish in the way that they act and the decisions that they make. And like, whether it's getting through this pandemic or just getting through life in general, we're, we're all part of a society. Like we all live in, we're all part of families. We're all part of local communities you know, states, countries, society as as a whole, like this is about we, it's not about me. Um, And everyone, especially right now, and even outside of a global pandemic, like everyone's struggling in their own way. And it's not always obvious and people struggle to varying degrees. So I think keeping that in mind will help you to have a little bit more empathy and just reminding ourselves like at the end of the day we're all in this together so when you have the opportunity try and help one another out rather than putting your own selfish interests first and if we're able to do that in a respectful way um, and we're able to help each other out like that's how you know we're not only going to get through this pandemic like that's how that's how you get through life like is is just by treating the people around you really well like at the end of the day we're all here just to help one another out two more things I'd add to that. One is be adaptable. And I always think of like, there's this great like Mike Tyson quote, or I think it was from his team, like when he was in the heyday of his boxing career, he's like, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And I think the takeaway from that is like, if things aren't going to plan, like you've got to learn to roll with the punches. And right now things aren't going to people's plans like so you've got to roll with the punches make alternative plans like learn to adjust your goals find new sources of motivation and inspiration like that takes work it's not always going to be obvious and i've said this in the past before other people have said it as well like mood is going to follow action i mean a big reason why i force myself to get out and run every day even if it's just for a little bit is i know my mood is going to be much better the rest of the day than if i if i didn't get out but you know, in order to change your emotional state or your mental state, like you've got to change your your physical state first. So you know, find find new sources of of inspiration. Like, take action toward that. Like, it's just don't sit around and wait for it to come to you. It's it's just not going to happen. Like, go out and do something. Uh, and then the the last step is like just remind yourself you're going to get through it, whatever it is. Um, you know, whether it's like what we're dealing with now with this pandemic or other societal issues, I mean, one thing I, you know, I, I know about life, I think this is a fact of life, eventually everything comes to an end. Um, and oftentimes we can't see things through for one reason or another. But even if you don't know when the finish line is, is going to come, and right now we don't know when this pandemic is going to be over. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we're dealing with as a society as it relates to you know, racial justice and whatnot, like, you know, there's just not going to be, you know, it's just not going to end like tomorrow. Like, it's just going to, like a lot of these things, like it's going to take time. It's going to take work. And like, that can be, you know, that can be stressful. It can make you feel like your effort is is for naught. But you've got to tell yourself that if you keep working toward it, um, that's what's important. Not necessarily, you know knowing that that you've you've reached the quote unquote like end of something so you're just telling yourself like hey i'm going to i'm going to get through this and those times when i feel like i want to quit on whatever it is for for whatever reason um it's worth the effort to to keep going and and back to my earlier point about helping one another out help other people to keep going i mean that's one of the things i love about ultra marathon running is you know you're you're out in the middle of the woods somewhere and people are in all manner of of disarray and people think they can't go another step and and more often than not i've seen this happen many a time i've experienced it myself it's it's someone else who is also in that same predicament who encourages you to to keep going and, and to get through, and I think if we can take that lesson and apply it to the rest of our lives like we're going we 're going to be much better off love it, thanks for
1: sharing that, Mario. It was long and rambly
0: and based on a, a post of mine from the morning shakeout a, a couple months back, but i think it's I think it 's especially relevant right now, uh, given where we are in this country and you know, as a, as a greater humanity in in general. But I also think, you know, these things are, are applicable to life at at any point, you know, it's just like, this is this current circumstance we find ourselves in. It's just the, it's just the challenge of, you know, of our time. And there's going to be, there's going to be other challenges, but these, you know, these same pieces of, of advice apply and, and hopefully they give people hope to work through uncertain situations. Well, I certainly agree.
1: Thanks for having me co-host again.
0: Thank you for taking the time to co-host. Thank you to all the listeners who submitted questions. We didn't get to all of them, but I felt like we got to a, a good number. We will do this again probably two more times before the end of the year. I'd like to do one AMA per quarter. John, it's always good to get on the mics with you and catch up a little bit. So thank you for hosting once again. My pleasure. Right, so another episode in the books thank you so much for listening in if you enjoyed this episode please tell a friend about it or throw up a post on instagram twitter or facebook and encourage your followers to subscribe to the show you can also leave a rating and a review on apple podcasts spotify or whatever platform you're listening to this on which only takes a minute and it really means a lot to me A big thank you to both Tracksmith and Whoop for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Tracksmith is a Boston-based running brand led by a group of dedicated runners who are committed to building superlative quality, classically stylish, and cutting-edge running apparel for real-world athletes. I train regularly in their Twilight Tank and Reggie Half Tights, staples of their spring collection, which is now available online. And if you're looking for inspiration to stay motivated and get out the door these days, be sure to check out their journal on Tracksmith.com and their Instagram feed at Tracksmith Running, where they've been sharing and creating content from around the running world. To learn more, visit Tracksmith.com Mario and use the code Mario15, that's Mario15, when you check out and save 15 bucks off your first purchase of 75 dollars or more. Whoop is a fitness wearable you wear on your wrist that provides personalized insights on the performance of your sleep, how recovered your body is, and how much stress you put on your body throughout the day from your workouts and the normal stressors of life. It has built-in features like a strain coach and a sleep coach that help you target optimal exertion levels and tell you how much sleep you should be getting based on the intensity of your training and the signals that your body is giving you. Whoop is offering 15% off with the code Mario, that's my name, when you check out. So go to whoop, that's W-H-O-O-P.com and enter the code Mario, M-A-R-I-O, when you check out and save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter with Whoop. I'd also like to give a shout out to my rockstar team here at the Morning Shakeout, John Summerford, who handles the production and makes this show sound as good as it does week in and week out, Jeff Stern for social media and editorial assistance, and Chris Douglas for managing sponsorship sales. I couldn't do what I do without their help. Last thing, if you're digging the podcast, I encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. It's also called The Morning Shakeout at themorningshakeout.com slash subscribe. And you'll get my weekly take on what's happening in the world of running, along with a collection of things that I've been thinking about, reading, and listening to that you might enjoy getting in your inbox every Tuesday morning. Okay, that's it. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of The Morning Shakeout Podcast.